Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome to uh, this episode, which is a review of 147 different podcasts that I've done since we began a year and a half ago. So I thought it was quite interesting to capture some themes and some lessons. Goodness me, after 147 different interviews, surely I've learned something which I can pass on to you. And I've learned a lot. And if you want to go and look through all the different podcasts, go to my website, jonathanperks.com. And there you'll find it's laid out beautifully for you, all the podcasts, uh, some of the recent two-minute top tips, book reviews, uh, blogs, a whole variety of resources, free and available to you. Please fill your boots, go in and listen to them, watch them as videos, uh, or listen to them on Spotify or Apple. Uh, recently, there were, I mean, there's always been some fascinating people. It's hard to pick out some, but some that stand out in my mind for a whole variety of different reasons as inspiring leaders. Joe Foster, 85-year-old uh, uh, founder of Reebok, that global brand. Joe's just recently produced his book, Shoemaker, which I really enjoyed reading and chatting to Joe about that. Um, then also Brian Ashton, the England rugby coach, Brian Ashton, MBE. Uh, a lot of humility there, learning from mistakes he made as well as successes he had but always looking to learn from other people. Uh, then Dr. Margaret Casely Hayford, uh, CBE, and, and she was talking about uh, this, this looking for opportunities to find diversity and difference and celebrate it, uh, not looking for uniformity and everybody being the same. Jeff Nishwitz, I enjoyed talking to Jeff in America, uh, and Jeff's had a lot of tough lessons. He runs his own podcast, but a very authentic, person who I think will become a good long-term friend because I just love the way he showed up with his strength, but yet also his vulnerability, his ability to just be himself and learn from many of the lessons that he's made. Goodness, haven't we all made a lot of mistakes over time and hopefully we're learning from them. I certainly don't intend to repeat the same mistakes too often, but I certainly make new mistakes, see them as teachable moments. Who else? Uh, Patrick Kane, a triple amputee, young 24-year-old man who's carried the Olympic torch, who's been uh, on the stage with Apple employees, and who's done a TED Talk all by the age of 24, and doesn't see his uh, disability, if you call it even that, uh, as, as anything other than an opportunity to see things differently. Goodness, if I ever start complaining and grumbling about myself, I think about Patrick and his very positive view on life, very inspiring. General Sir Mike Jackson, uh, as I grew up as an army officer, he was somewhat of a fearsome uh, reputation as a strong speaking, tough parachute regiment officer, went on to be the head of the army. Had a lot of uh, challenges in his time, some controversy, but he handles that um, with great skill, I found. Paz Avalos uh, from, I think, uh, South America, possibly Peru, if, I, if my memory serves me right. 
But Paz talking about coming out and her wife and the children that they've both had and, and the importance of being authentic and being yourself. Derek Redmond, Olympian, the one who uh, was an incredible athlete and part of a very successful British team. But just as he was running for the finish line on one of his particular races, his hamstring completely went. But yet he and his father hobbled across the line to determine to finish. And then David Marquet, uh, who was a captain of the USS Santa Fe and quite an inspiration to me with his two books, Turn the Ship Around and Leadership is Language, where I've learned a lot from that and able to pass on his knowledge to the clients that I work with, both the CEOs and the partners and the managing directors, but also particularly their leadership teams. And I found it's allowed me to get deeper into the heart of an organization and really help leadership teams. And this has become quite a passion for me. So that's just a few of the different people that you can listen to on the podcast. And if I perhaps think about what makes these inspiring leaders, what did I pick up out of 147 different people? Um, the first thing is diverse experiences. There's no one solution fits all. They've all done different things, had different upbringings, completely different, a bit like our microbiome, uh, something like 300 billion different little uh, microbes in there, all rushing around doing different things. It's almost like our DNA. We're all different. No one is the same as anybody else. Even identical twins are not identical in every way because they've had different experiences. Like that famous Stoic saying, you can never stand, step into the same river twice because by the time you step into it, the water's flowed by, you've changed and you're different. It's, it's not the same experience. And then my gratitude to uh, Professor Roger Steer. We, he talked about these leaders having the three hums, humility, humanity, and humor. Or as someone else put, heart. I think heart is a very important one. Maybe it's four, humanity, humility, humor, and heart. And, and that these people, they were referrals by other inspiring leaders who said, talk to this man or this woman. I, I found them very inspiring. And, and it was often the inspiring leaders, they go, well, I'm not really big inspiring, but this person is. Um, it's the ones who tell you they are terribly inspiring and they should be on your show are the ones that actually have said thank you, but uh, no. I think it, it has to be um, with that humility and inspiration. Others have got to find you inspiring. Telling me that you're inspiring doesn't really work so well. I think actually often you need to say, I've got a long way to go before I'm inspiring. It's work in progress. This idea of the incomplete leader with a complete team, which I, I so enjoyed from uh, the Civil Service College. So what else came across as some themes? I think followership, to leadership, you have to have followership. And followership is some of the essence of my upbringing. It's now 40 years ago today that I was commissioned as a young second lieutenant in the Royal Corps of Signals. For my first 10 years, Royal Signals, my second 10 years, I, I chose to move into the infantry because I, I thought that was sort of more towards the front line, more challenging and more stretching and where some of the teeth arm cut their teeth, literally. Um, uh, but it was interesting being back in touch with friends 40 years later from Barbados, from Jamaica, uh, from Nepal, from uh, Jordan. We never found our colleague from Zaire, the Democratic Republic of Congo, I think as it is now. We wonder what happened to Mr. Belengi, um, 
but but my friend Errol Stewart, it, that friendship has lasted 40 years and he was my best man when I got married six years ago to my wife, Lee. So uh, we, we continue to be to be great friends. Those bonds go back a long time and, and they taught us about serving to lead, which was the point I wanted to make here about followership, that people don't follow you for long out of curiosity of where you'll mess up next and what you'll get wrong. You should be removed from positions of authority if you cannot lead with care and consideration, compassion for the people that you are in charge of. It's a great privilege, it's an honor, which is why being a CEO's leadership coach uh, to finding inspiring CEOs and their executive teams, it's a great honor. And at times I, I feel very humbled by it, but also who am I? And it's almost that imposter syndrome. Am I good enough to be the team coach or to be the leadership coach to these people? Sometimes I'm good enough, other times it isn't about me, it's actually about them. And when I worry less about my own performance and more about being a catalyst to draw the best out of them. I met Don Birch, who I coached in Asa, uh, maybe eight to 10 years ago. Don very kindly said, you know, in a note that, you know, I had helped him change his life for the better. I was just the catalyst. He had to do the work. I just brought ideas and suggestions that I'd learned from other leaders, which goes back to my father and his death, saving the lives of two others as a very fine Royal Navy fast jet pilot. And in meeting the two people who lived for him, uh, his death meant that they lived. It, it was very interesting that they said, you know, you must pay it forward. You must learn from other leaders and pass it on, which is why we're having this conversation now. And so I, I do hope that in all that I'm striving to learn, particularly my dyslexia, where uh, having finally had the test a couple of months ago and finding that I'm dyslexic in reading, writing, maths and spelling, doesn't make it bad. I don't feel I'm a victim at all. It, it meant I had to adapt and learn different ways of being with people. And that's why perhaps I focus more on people rather than on facts and figures so much and, and data and maths and things like that. But at Santos, we were taught about servant leadership. Literally the motto of Santos is serve to lead. And indeed there was a little red book we had, which we were given when we first began called serve to lead with stories back from Wavell and Slim in the second world war and, and the way of looking after those that you lead. And, and those carry across to today and, and the importance of creating a healthy culture, psychologically safe places where people can be of their best. And, and in this world of pandemic and recession and changes that are going on, it will be a different way of leading in the future. But some of the foundations will never change. They're still very important in the way you need followership and you need inspiring leadership. Let me go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, the research that my wife, Lee, uh, did in her book, Inspiring Women Leaders, well worth a, a read of hers and all the research. My very first book, Inspiring Leadership, Leadership Lessons from My Life. Um, you look back at these books, and uh, particularly my own book, and I think, oh, God, I wish I could have done it so much better. And indeed, reading my book, uh, realizing now as a dyslexic, reading it was not as 
as fluid and as easy as just talking to you now and sharing experiences. So my next book, uh, CEOs Inspiring Leadership and Executive Teams, will be the compilation of the stories and the podcast and the experience from these different CEOs and the different people that I've worked with over the 21 years in business and 20 years in the military uh, as I rapidly approach 60 in a year's time. So of the eight components, let's just go around the compass from the very top, True North, MQ. This idea of your morals, your integrity, your values, your beliefs, the principles that you will live and in some cases, like my father, die for because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I'm reminding myself of time again, doing the right thing, seeing the results, the first thing, the second thing, but then not needing the third thing, which is people to pat you on the back and tell you what a good job for doing that act of kindness or that uh, job around the house. I still, I still have to work on that, that habit of trying to please other people, but just doing it because it's the right thing. And, and I found with all the people that I interviewed and uh, I'm always interested in people's life stories, particularly more so leadership. Um, uh, life is in the transitions is, is the book, which was so very interesting. And now whenever I meet people, I'm always interested. I always have been, but I, it, it's almost a key thing. I shut up and I just ask them about their leadership life lessons. What's shaped you? How have you become the woman you've become, the leader you've become now? How have you become the man that you've become? What was it in those foundational values? Who was it? A mother, a father? Was it, um, I don't know, was it teachers that you had or grandfather? Or, or it can be a variety of things. It could even be a, a football coach or someone in the scouts or I don't know, a variety of things. For me, uh, yes, my my father, but I, I was only three when he was killed. My mother, who was a philanthropist and did so much good for so many of the people, was very influential on me. But I think going into the army aged uh, just 18, literally just 18, um, like my birthday, a month before I went, and then commissioned just after I was 19, a year later, huge shape on my life um, for, for many of the, the good things, but also... I think perhaps some of the things that we all can suffer from being competitive and being comparative, it's a, a battle I have to work with. Uh, and also being non-judgmental and non-attached to things and status and positions. Goodness, that's a battle for all of us for many a year. But in MQ, what are your foundational values? Well, the top three, what, what will you live and die for? Or are you so flexible that you might even call it situational leadership? You'll apply a set of values in this situation, but a completely different set of values in this situations. And I think to understand another is to know what values they fight for and they live and die for and they work for. And if you really are going to know the people you need, you need to know their values. I think those are, are crucial. So MQ, the first of the components. Um, and also the other thing I think on values before I finish on that is admitting when you're wrong. Far too few leaders, and the best ones on the podcast do do this, but far too many few leaders that I meet 
have got the humility to admit when they were wrong, quickly work out, admit it, talk to people, and then work out how to resolve it. So it's this, this humility and the humanity is it's baked into your foundational values, your MQ, your moral intelligence quotient. And, and if you have a true north and a set of values, it will stand you in great stead. And I know in the past, the undoing of me at times when I didn't do well and I was not a good leader was when I let my standards and my values slip in the desperate attempt to succeed or get on and cut corners. And that's just not acceptable. And but we all do slip up at times. And if you think you don't, I, I ask you to really look at yourself, look at the man or the woman in the mirror and really ask yourself, who are you kidding? So make them teachable moments, learn from those mistakes and make sure you don't do it again. Just like uh, a relation of mine I knew was alcoholic. And so my ex-wife and I went to Alcoholic Anonymous to, to try and understand how to help this relation. And the, the old saying is, if for alcoholics, if you're going to slip up, don't go somewhere slippery. So, so take yourself away from temptation. It's like your willpower is bought at the supermarket. When you do your online shop, just don't buy the stuff that will make you unwell or is unhealthy for you. Buy the good stuff so that you're not hunting around the house because it isn't there. So... Uh, it's a lot and I've, I've stressed on it, but, but it's the, it's the true North. It's the thing that in difficult times come back to that. What are your values? Next is PQ meaning and purpose. Uh, and this is equally important. And time and again, the best leaders that I interviewed had a very clear burning. Why a sense of calling of vocation of purpose so that they were focused on what they were here to do. One of them said it's like living your life on purpose rather than off purpose. And a bit like flying from London to New York, you'll get blown by headwinds off course and you have to course correct and come back online. Rarely are you on purpose all the time. But when something comes your way, ask you, so ask yourself, does this fit with my life purpose and my vocation or is this off purpose? Recently, I've thinned out a number of things that I just don't want to be doing anymore because it doesn't fit with my life purpose. And, it, and if you're like me, you've used this pandemic as an opportunity to pivot and adjust what you're doing so your life is purposeful and has meaning. And one of the great questions I keep being asked in the 365 days of mindfulness that I'm doing through the Headspace app, which is very good. The question is, how would you feel if you knew that today was your last day alive? How would you feel? Or who or what would you miss if you knew that today was your last day? To appreciate what you do have, to put things in perspective. And, and I want to live many more years than 60. But if I was to have this as my last day, I'm very lucky to have done the things I've done, to have served you and others by passing on what I've learned, to have learned from so many interesting people that I've had the chance to interview, coach, teams that I've worked with, um, learning so much from my wife and the charity that she runs, the Inspiring Leadership Trust for Vulnerable 
women and, and modern day slavery, trafficking, abuse, mental health issues, really humbling to hear other people's stories and how they've come through that. So what gives your life its clear burning why? And if you haven't got a sense of purpose, mission, vision, why you do what you do for your business, you need to spend time on that. Without a why, you know, any road will take you where you're going because you don't know where you're going. I think that's enough on that one. Um, from purpose, PQ, meaning in purpose, to HQ, which is in ours health and well-being intelligence quotient. Um, nutrition, uh, we came across Barbara Cox, a fascinating nutritionist, learning a lot from her on the, the, the foodstuffs I'm putting inside my body, having had a cancer scare a couple of years back, reading widely and deeply, listening as I do to so many audiobooks about, we're all gonna die. We're all terminally ill from the moment we're born. We're terminally ill. But how can you make sure that your health span matches your lifespan? I've seen too many people die very sick and very ill, but struggling for a long time being terribly ill. And it's not much of a life. It's an existence rather than a life. And I aspire to have a good life and a good death, but, but let's look after our mental health, our physical health, our well-being, our nutrition, our sleep. It's a whole huge topic, but I found as I've struggled at times with mental health through some of the difficult times in my life, the thing that has helped me the most is looking after my health and well-being, mental and physical, nutritional, sleep, habit stacking, as we call it, from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And, and, and that came across in the leaders that I interviewed and spoke to, uh, and in the clubhouse sessions that we have with different CEOs, uh, have a listen to that, CEOs Inspiring Leadership, the board you can't afford, um, every Friday on Clubhouse from four till five. We all talked about health and well-being. It's a key thing for some of those most inspiring leaders I know. And they know when they slip up and they know when they're on strength. From Health Quotient, the next one round, we dropped IQ because IQ is seen as the, the panacea in the past for why you hire leaders, but it's not the real, the really most important one. CQ is cultural intelligence quotient. <clears throat> With uh, the death of George Floyd and uh, I've been reading the, the autobiography of Malcolm X uh, and then also my next book to be reading is Roots and talking to different people from different backgrounds, particularly my friend Errol Stewart, who's a Jamaican officer, as I say, I've known about 40 years. You've got to be able to adapt culturally to different cultures and to make your own culture of your organization healthy and spot when it's toxic. It could be one person, it could be a few people. It could be when you all start getting internally focused rather than on the purpose and outwardly looking on the difference you're making to society or to others that you get too selfish and then it goes toxic. And, and it's key behind cultural intelligence quotient is DEI, diversity, equality and inclusion. And all need a huge amount of work. And we've all got a lot to do to contribute to that and to be far more open and adapt to different cultures. People who are different from us are not wrong. They're just different. Do you understand? Have you walked a mile in their shoes? So I find that whole area is a massive amount of learning that I need to do. 
from from the culture that you're in and the intelligence of adapting to different people to the emotional and social intelligence, the EQ, a crucial part of the difference between the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed and the less inspiring leaders that I've met is often they've got underdeveloped emotional and social intelligence. It is adaptable. In very few cases have I come across people who I think are uncoachable. A couple, but actually even they can adapt if they want to. And of course, it's that you've got to have a leader who wants to grow and develop and doesn't think that they're the finished article, that they, they don't accept that they're always work in progress, always work in progress. So with emotional and social intelligence, you've got to be able to read your own emotions and manage them. You can't control them. You've got to read and manage other people's emotions, even on a video like this. Are you watching my eyes? Am I looking into yours? Can you see how people are? Can you tell when someone's down and they say they're fine, but the voice doesn't portray to you that they are fine? Something's amiss. And um, with that, can you also read the environment that you're in? And can you manage the environment so you know when the culture's gone toxic and it's going unhealthy and what you can do to change it? So that's EQ. And then on to RQ, resilience. Gosh, I think it's a strong trait of many of the inspiring leaders that I interviewed that whether it be Derek Redmond, the uh, Olympic sprinter with his hamstring going and having to adapt into a, a new world of doing a different kind of job um, or, or, or people who've had such incredible setbacks and disappointments, things never quite worked out like they did. Uh, talking to Sandy Loder, one of the interesting people, ex Grenadier Guards officer, but he takes people on expeditions into the uh, Arctic North. And I went with him on one of those up to Tromso in the, in the Arctic Circle. And while I didn't go out on the sleds with him, it was very interesting talking to him about uh, who comes through and, and who cringes and, and hides into themselves, withers and becomes smaller. So can you grow into resilience? Can you see it? Success it teaches you something, but also when it doesn't work out, can you see that as a first attempt in learning? It's not fail, it's a first attempt in learning, as my daughter Harriet, the teacher, um, said. And even she now is moving from teaching into a digital consultancy because she's realized that's more what she wants to do and not looking on the fact that she's no longer teaching as a failure, but it's just taught her something which she can use in her next role. So teachable moments, first attempt in learning and picking yourself up when you fall down, fall down seven times, get up eight is that old famous Chinese proverb. So from resilience to brand, BQ, brand, reputation, image, and impact. The, the best leaders that I've interviewed are very open to the mistakes that they've made and to how others see them, but they're quietly confident. I think there's this humble alpha. It is uh, one of the guys I'm gonna be interviewing, I'm really looking forward to it, is Stephen Kuhn, uh, a former sergeant uh, in the US tank corps uh, in uh, Iraq. And now he runs uh, programs called, you know, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. Uh, and 
So, so being a strong, confident individual, but having humility as well and being prepared to hear feedback from other people. How do others perceive you? And, and are you aligned in how you see yourself and how they see themselves and how misaligned are you or how in tune are you with really reading yourself? So there's a, there's a lot of benefit that comes when CEOs and teams get 360 feedback. It's like you're blind to it if you never do it. And, and many resist it because they're afraid of what they might hear. But that's okay. Just be prepared for it. It might hurt you a bit, but just hold it out there. Observe it. Don't own it yet until you can really listen to the feedback. But, but your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Do you know what people say about you? Have you got someone independent going around and interviewing people or doing a survey? Reach out to me, come and get in touch. If you want to have some really thorough 360 feedback done on you and some great interviews done on you, I find it's some of the most powerful work that I do with leaders. And it's the basis of them stopping being in denial and moving forward to being much more humble much more inspiring if they're already inspiring and far more aware of the difference they make and the shadow that they cast because we cast a long shadow as a, as a senior leader and make sure you like what you see people are learning you and it's not about what, the, what you're saying those fine words and if your rhetoric doesn't match the reality they'll read the reality just like children who watch a parent, they don't listen to what the parent says, they just watch how the parent behaves. And then if the parent criticizes them for doing what they've just done themselves, that trust is broken. And trust is a key part of inspiring leadership. And it's come across so powerfully so many times. Trust, mutual trust, psychological safety. Would anybody be willing to go into battle with you and I wouldn't wish this on, on anybody, but having been in situations on operations in dangerous parts of the world where I, I, I could potentially have died, I, I, I need to really ask myself, would I follow this person into a combat situation? Not because they're strong and they're big, but, but do they care enough about the people they lead? Are they thoughtful? Or is it all about them? What is their motive? And is it about servant leadership or is it about, do you know who I am? And this is this status position, this CEO is a, is a reward for my years of hard work and I'm going to milk it for all I can have. Some do that. It's not one I'd like to have on my Inspiring Leadership series. And they're really ending beautifully with legacy, LQ, the, the last element of the Inspiring Leadership Compass. This is about the most inspiring leaders were concerned about stewardship and about leaving things better than they found it, that they didn't own it. Just like I've got two daughters of my own who are in their uh, mid to late twenties, uh, a stepdaughter and a stepson, uh, similar sort of ages. I don't own them. I'm just looking after them, providing care, comfort, resources, support, um, a good listening ear, um, when they need my help, but they're their own people. I don't own them. And you don't own the people in the company you think you own. 
you might be the majority shareholder, but do you really own it? Legally, you might do. But have you sold your soul to the devil? Have you really shown that you care and you're worthy of their leadership, that, that you have generated sufficient followership, that they will follow you through the toughest times as well as the good times? So are you going to be a legacy in your own lunchtime, in your lifetime? or beyond when you're there. So I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Um, this is my review of 147 of the podcasts that we've done so far. It is because of the quality of those inspiring leaders that it's rated globally and in the top 2% of all the podcasts. If you think you've got someone that you would recommend, that you've worked for, that you think is a truly inspiring CEO or leader, let me know about her or him and, and why you think they should be on this series because it's by referral only and if you know of someone who really is inspirational remember to send the lift back down that others will benefit from their wisdom and experience i do this as a way of paying it forward it isn't something i make any money from but i really care about others learning the lessons that i'm learning from these leaders and paying it forward so that people can get real true benefit from other people's mistakes that you don't have to make the same mistake yourself. So go forward, be inspiring, learn from other people, have the humility, the humanity, and a bit of humor and heart to just be very real in the way you are. Good luck with all you do and keep listening to these podcasts. I'll keep them coming and I'll keep interviewing amazing men and women who are ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. Thank you for listening. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.